We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. Hey everyone, I'm here with Grandmaster Mezgin Amanov of Chicago by way of Turkmenistan. Mezgin, thanks for coming on the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Thank you for having me, Ben. Uh, It is a pleasure and I actually did listen to some of your podcasts, and it was very, very interesting. So I, I'm, of course, not prepared. I, I don't know what ha- what should be done to be prepared for that. So it's a more of a conversational, I guess. Yeah, I mean, my main goal is to, to hear people's stories. Uh, grandmasters like yourself are not exactly the target audience, but it does make me happy if you're able to, uh, to pick up a thing or two or find it interesting to listen to one. Perfect, perfect. Yes, I have lots of personal stories, and... Uh, uh, but the most interesting stories I heard is from the other GMs when whenever they travel. I I get to hear 
a lot of them. So well, I think that's what I mean, to the extent you're able to get into it, I think that's what people would be more interested in than anything. I mean, people really want a, a glimpse behind the curtain of the Grandmaster lifestyle. But we'll let you we'll let you work up to that because uh, I, yep. I wanted to start a little bit with your background because you're from a country that I and um, our listeners probably don't know that much about. So tell us a little bit about Turkmenistan. So Turkmenistan used to be the part of USSR countries. And in 1991, as we all know, it actually just break down into 14 countries, I think. And one of them was, was Turkmenistan. Uh, I speak, I speak, my first language is a, is a Russian language. And uh, I do understand and speak Turkmen language as well. Although now living here in the U.S. for almost 10 years, I do forget uh, and my accent is getting terrible, hmm. the Turkmen accent. So, but how is it living there? You know, um, chess-wise, let's talk chess-wise in Turkmenistan, it, it's somewhat developed now. And we had GMs, we had IMs, we had international tournaments. But at some point uh, at age of uh, 20, 21, I moved from Turkmenistan to live in USA. It is just to continue my chess career. I So I finished my high school at age of 15, then I went to college, then I went to university. So I was still young, I was like 15, 16 years old, and by the age of 19 I graduated college, and my major was um, chess coach, believe it or not. And this is such a rare uh, thing here, because there's no such ma major in United States or any Europe, but in those uh, USSR countries there is such major as a chess coach. So... Uh, with that, I, uh, I after that, after I graduated that university, I went to army because oh. this is obligatory. Okay, before we get to the army, let's hear a little bit about uh, what uh, what they teach you when you major as a chess coach. Yeah, this is an interesting point. So when when I was submitting my documents, you know, there was no not chess, there was no sport as a chess, but I had to do the entry as a basketball thing. So I had to pass exam and I had to shoot some like huh. uh, three, three pointers and I had to do some stuff. And then, I mean, obviously I was not on the like amazing level, but I did uh, do basketball like for four years, like before uh, going to college, just because for fun, I liked it. And, and uh, when they were admitting me to the university, they said, well, your basketball is like not the best, but you know, you're the only master, national master at this age in this country. So we need you. <laughs> so we'll be happy to have you, <laughs> you know. So that's how I got in. And what they teach us. Uh, so the first year was uh, the first year was actually just it's the all the sports. Basically, you have to participate like in boxing, wrestling, uh, table tennis, tennis, running, all the swimming type things. So any sport that you can possibly any olympic sport any sport you have to like have some idea about it so you study those sports you understand the psychology of it like technicalities and stuff and uh, you have these lessons you're becoming a better athlete yourself because you, you're doing these things and uh, mostly what i liked on these lessons on these lectures my favorite one was like anatomy and like, physiology and and uh, sports psychology so those were my by five by far favorite ones and, uh, of course, now I, I benefit from this a lot. I mean, the psychology element in chess is so huge that it really helps me through see not my opponents, but uh, the students. I even uh, joke with them sometime, 
So he brings the game and we analyze, my student, let's say, right? And uh, I say, I, after analyzing your game, I even know what you ate on breakfast and they laugh. <laughs> so. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So do you feel like it was helpful, the, the chess coaching major? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and first of all, it, it, it wasn't on, the way, on my way of studying chess. You know, I could do basically any tournaments. I could travel, and I did travel while I was in college. Like, while you're in school, it's, it's like so fine to take two weeks off from school because you're going for the tournament. And uh, they appreciate that. So you go, you play, you come back. So one thing, they're not on your way. Second thing, you really learn some stuff. Let's say, I, I didn't learn chess there. That's the only thing I didn't learn in my school because that's something I learned on my own. You can't possibly learn chess in, in – no one can teach you there, like, to play chess. They can teach you uh, things, how to work with students, how to work in groups, how to talk, how to present yourself and stuff. But learning chess, no, there's no way that you could do that. Yeah, I mean, you were one of the strongest players in the country already, right? Well, back then, no. When I just got there, I wasn't. I was just like a national master. But by the end of graduating it, I – at the age 18, 19, 20, I was the highest rated player. And that wasn't even my most professional years. I think um, I can uh, talk a little bit about when I really started to uh, work on chess professionally. Because when I was 2200, right, I was 15 years old, I really didn't consider myself doing anything like amazing. When I started to work about six hours a day, from the age of like 16 to 19. So I was working every day, six to eight hours, every night. So it was like um, school, you could get back, you rest. And then I, I would go to my uh, bedroom and study from 11 p.m. to like 3, 4 a.m. It was a completely different schedule, but this is what I just enjoyed, to isolate myself and work on it. So uh, again, yeah, learning-wise, it had to be just by myself at, at home. So what did you study? Uh, you mean the chess wise? Yeah, well, like on those yeah, five hour sessions. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my favorite thing was, of course, to study the books, the Grandmaster Games, and uh, I did have some coaches, but it's never like a private. It's completely different system uh, there because you can't really hire a private coach. I mean, you can, but I mean, you don't have money there. You're living in Turkmenistan. What do you have? Like, all you do is just you going to the group lessons, of course, and. You have a coach and you ha he has like 10 kids and you just play. You're just like doing some stuff. You're just solving some puzzles and that's how it goes. But the real work is, of course, how you study at home. So when some people ask me, who is your coach? I, I really reply like Mikhail Botvinnik, the world champion, yeah, Gary right. Kasparov, Nimzovic, Fischer, Alekhine. I say those are all my coaches because uh, – those books are just, and it's so hard to find books in Turkmenistan. You have no idea. Like here, everyone is spoiled. Like you have everything. You have any book you want in the world. You can just go Amazon, order it, or you can just go online and watch on YouTube videos, or you can just get some programs. You have everything. I mean, you don't really need a lot of money. There in Turkmenistan, there is just, how, how just imagine how hard it is to find a book. First of all, it has to be, of course, a Russian language book and it has to be ordered from somewhere from like a library in uh, Russia, something like that. And there is no book in my house that, of course, I like would, would just stand on a shelf and, and I wouldn't finish it. I had to go over everything, every single page. And I would be like, by the end of the 
a book, I would sit and cry out of happiness, like, wow, he was just teaching me. And now you have a sadness that you don't have material anymore to learn. So you have wow. to like pass some time and find some book or magazine to study again. So yeah, it's not that uh, the, the material was hard to find. Like no newspapers, no, not, not, none of that. Man, that's, uh, that's quite a story. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like I'm, I felt like a psychopath sometimes sitting, <laughs> uploading, you know, I sit and I upload. It's like, who are you uploading to? Like to Nimzovich, you know, with this right. book, my system, for example, was probably by far my favorite book. And I find it very different from American edition and like this Russian edition, it's such a thick book. And I was like, wow, this is like the best thing. I really like just like improve by 200 points by understanding this blockade and blockade, restrain, destroy. That's one of the main uh, teaching there. So, and yeah. Th- and this would have been what, about 12 years ago, something like that? Uh, no, actually, so I'm 30 years old. And uh, that would be 15 years old, 16 years old, yeah. Okay, so computers were around. I mean, chess space wasn't quite the, the powerhouse it was now, but other people... Exactly, exactly. But, Computer was around here, but not in Turkmenistan. Wow, yeah, that's there what was, I was I was leading up I to. Mean, so you, when, did we, when did we really get computers? I mean, we had computers, but no chess programs. I mean, computer wouldn't help you. No internet, basically. In wow. fact, there was no internet at all in Turkmenistan until I maybe just moved out of there. Maybe there appeared in some... You know, yeah. Locations. So, so this maybe ties into to. We'll get back to the chess and to the army. But uh, what was the? I've heard a little bit about the leader in Turkmenistan, and I don't know how much you want to talk about it. But what was the uh, political situation like back then in your well, home back country? Back then was was another president of the country. Uh, it was the Niyazov Sapar Murat, and um, he passed away. I don't remember the year. Um, it was for for sport. It was rather okay. We would just be permitted to travel about. Uh, four or five times a year, I would travel it three, four times, and I, I was uh, totally satisfied with that. So for me, again, I'm young. I'm in my school. It didn't affect me in any how, in any way. So we were like basically free of doing things. We just had to ask permissions from the sport committee or to accommodate us, and because and we we wouldn't be able to pay those uh, expenses because it was you know imagine like for a Turkmenistan guy go to Europe. In France, for example, spent for hotel flight. It's, I don't think it was possible to a pool, but you know they give a support. There That's was a support. Nice. Yeah. yeah, it was a support. It, it okay. I have to be honest. It's not the best support in the world, of course, right? Like people here in the US, when you're best, you you like completely sponsored and stuff. We weren't paid, but we were really happy to go, and we were happy to represent the country. And then uh, uh, the new president became, and this was about the time when I was actually leaving the country. So. I do know the situation about it. And um, speaking of uh, now, if we're talking about in 2017, uh, for the first time, Turkmenistan is going to hold a huge international event, which is called Asian Games. So it's going to be in September, and we're going to host 65 countries. And so it will be all whole Asia and the whole Oceania. Uh, they spend a lot of a lot of time and money preparing for this event. So things are really changing right now. They're hiring all the coaches. For example, I can even reveal the coaches who are working with Turkmenistan guys is a super GM, Dreyev, wow. super coach, uh, and a uh, uh, very famous coach, uh, Sergei Tiviakov from Netherlands. So those are very two popular coaches. They're working with uh, Turkmen athletes. I unfortunately cannot participate in these trainings uh, because I, I'm here and it's hard to travel, you know, but... Overall, of course, situation is really good right now there. So uh, 
for athletes in these years who are doing something, it's quite a good time. Well, it's nice to hear you even, I mean, it's nice to hear, I was going to say, you call chess players athletes, although I, I tend, you know, every chess player has to have that conversation with someone sooner or later. <laughs> I, I, I don't like, I kind of think it's semantics, like, you know, uh-huh. sort of who cares at some point what you call it. The bottom line uh-huh. is it's a very difficult pursuit that needs support, uh-huh. whether you call it a sport or not. But I mean, it's nice to hear that, that it was supported despite uh, it being a country that um, didn't have as yes. many resources as someplace like the U.S., yeah, here how I see it, the athlete. So the part of a competition, right? So imagine this, you're going for kind of Olympic Games or Asian Games, right? So imagine you have all these sports and chess going with them, right? So you're wearing this uniform, like athlete uniform, you recognize as a sport because you basically compete. It's like in a 12-hour-a-day competition. I mean, other sports is like a four or five-hour thing. In the chess, if you're playing two rounds a day, it comes to like eight, 10 hours, 11 hours, depends, right, on the, on the schedule or, or time control. So you have to show a tremendous, not just mental work, but the physical work. Who will be able to sit and, like, you know, poker players, yes, they sit, like, say, have a session of 10 to 12 hours, and they know how hard it is to do it, like, for two, two weeks straight. And imagine you got to do this. So I, I, of course, can see the chess players athlete because I know myself how physically well you have to be prepared to, uh, to do well. Like, for example, if you're going to take Magnus Carlsen, Gary Kasparov, Vesilin Tapalov, or Vishwanathan Anand, those are like the most physique people. Like, they, they can endure anything. They run, they do tennis, they swim, they play soccer. They're super athletic because they're really, their physique is very strong. So I think it's uh, something to do with athletes. It's not complete. You, the only thing is not making you super athletic is just because you don't, like, gain muscles by playing chess or you, like, don't develop your um, – body let's say but to perform well in the chess tournaments you have to be prepared physically yeah for sure and as you said i think the younger generation in particular is really uh really focusing on that now and the the results seem to be pretty good so yeah i always recommend my private students i say uh, i mean i i really don't like when my students just just do chess let's say right i say okay what's the other activity and they say oh i do swimming or i do tennis those are my like favorite because i do know how they help um, develop the good stamina or other uh, areas of the physical activity. So I don't like when, let's say, my, the parent says, uh, oh, okay, he does this, 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 and that. Right. Like million things. Then then you can't really catch up with, you can't really focus on something professional. But if they choose, let's say, chess and something else, that's the ideal yeah. situation. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's quickly get back to the army in Turkmenistan. Uh, so, wh- wh- what was that experience like? Experience, yes, it's an obligatory experience for uh, it's for you have to be there for two years. Uh, two years for all those who didn't go to college. If you went to college and you're going to army after, it's only one and a half years. And I was super lucky, I guess, because the division I went to it was uh, divisions for athletes, basically. And uh, it was very hard to get there. Every year, they would only, like, get 12 people. So it's a very small uh, 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 division, you know? It's like, with total, we had, let's say, 30 people there in total, right? And we all knew each other. It's all athletes. And this, like, if, for example, uh, you're the best in your field, you'll get there. Because it will just also allow you to uh, do some trainings while you're in army. So, I mean, not everything is super sweet there. You're still going through some 
experience, you know, and I, this is the only thing I will not uh, disclose because the things are very different from the army here. Everything is like proper, you know, here and things are there, you know, there's like inside real fights going on and you get really humiliated, stuff like this. And, but you just, it just makes you tougher, I guess, you know, like when you, I'll tell you this, for example, the story. So when I get to US, right? I got to US. It was almost straight from the army, basically, right? So I got here and I like visit some families and they ask me, Mezgan, what, uh, what what kind of a tea would you like? Uh, black or like green? And and then let's say, yeah, whatever. It doesn't like green or black. And they say, okay, what with this flare, with this flare? I mean, if they would just have any idea, um, we basically didn't have food there. Like we had to just drink water. We In the soup, for example, we just had like a couple of... Uh, you know, floating flies. I don't know what what, what else would, would be there. So it was just uh, something that you go through. And now, like, after that experience, coming here by yourself is, like, almost nothing if you're going through this. So it was, like, whatever I ate here in the first years, like, it was... It was all like a restaurant for me. Like any fast food would be like McDonald's, for example, would be like, wow, right. McDonald's. Like it, it's crazy. It, it, it's still kind of expensive for me. It was back then, like 10 years ago. But uh, I, I never regret this experience. I would never take, uh, you know, this one half years away from my life because um, you learn things. Get, get learn perspective. Things. Yeah. Yeah. I will tell you one more story, but a funny story. Okay. The very first day in my army. So. I arrived at the my division, and so obviously the commander goes here. Okay, sit down. We're gonna like shave your head. No problem. Yeah, I sit down. They shave my head, right? And then and that very evening, my brother and my mom came to visit me. So I I went and they I just saw them for like a couple minutes. Like, hey, how are you? Blah blah blah. And now they, as they're almost driving back, I'm coming back to the commander, and commander uh, screams to me, Amanov, come here, run. And I'm like showing off, you know, like I just walk. Uh-huh. He's like, run, I told you. And I'm like just walking, walking, walking. And so I approach him. He's like, why are you not, why are you disobeying my orders? Like you're in the army. You have to listen. I said, and I said like, oh, I didn't hear. And he's like, oh, you didn't hear. And that punishment, that very first day I got there, I, ever since I didn't disobey. So, you know, like he, he told me to, uh, you know, to open the sleeves basically like you have to open your elbows basically, right? And then you have to lay down and uh, crawl for like a mile on these very uh, sharp stones, you know? And then, of course, everything was bloody. And oh. so that was a good experience, good learning. Yeah, I was cringing about halfway through that story and it didn't, it didn't disappoint. Man, that sounds awful. I guess yeah, you, yeah. You, gotta, you have to learn those lessons sometimes when you're young. But yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's good. It's good. You know, it's... It, uh, it teaches it some some discipline. I mean, to some extent, is of course it it shouldn't be like that. Maybe it's something it go, goes against the rights and stuff. But I don't regret that. Okay, so yeah. so, mm-hmm. so you finish up the army and you make your way to the U.S. And you mentioned that this was partially a chess decision. Did you feel like uh, you you knew you were going to pursue chess in the U.S. or were you just like I just have to go somewhere where there's opportunity and we'll we'll see what that opportunity is? Well, so I always somehow wanted to live in us you know and as you know there's not that easy for immigrants you have no visa nothing so and back then i was only international master so by the end of graduate uh, finishing the army i was international master rating probably was about 2400 
so I come to US for the tournament. I wrote to US Chess, was a Bill Gochberg responded to me saying, yeah, come play. He sent me invitation. You have to go to embassy. It's not that easy to get a visa to the United States, but I got it. So I came. I played this tournament, very first tournament in Philadelphia. And I did like so-so, nothing nothing special, okay? And uh, my father's friend was living in Ohio. And we had this plan that after that tournament, I'll just go and see uh, see him and just stay there for like a few weeks and just see how, how do I like it, okay? So got there. He lived in Ohio. So how'd you get from Philly to Ohio? Oh, that was like a grand grand hound. What is it? Greyhound. Greyhound. Greyhound bus. Exactly. Yes. Just uh, overnight. It was just like, you have no idea. How was was your English back then? English, uh, I'll tell you like this. So when I came here and uh, here's how, how, how can I judge it? So. When I went to this, my uh, dad's friend, and I, he had a daughter, a small one, like eight years old, and I tried to teach her chess because she only would speak English. And I would remember, I would speak like this. Okay, you bring this here, and then you do that, and this. <laughs> so with this heavy Russian accent and uh, with some, of course, limits in vocabulary. But overall, like traveling around the world uh, and having English in the school, and just like a, a high school, middle school, uh, did help me with English. And now uh, I do, of course, still have an accent. But people no, you've you've come That's you've come a long way. Your English is very good. I was just curious, like if you were able to buy a bus ticket and stuff like that. But it sounds like that your English yeah, was yeah, good I enough. Was, yeah, yeah, people were helpful. I remember, and I got that and uh, got to Ohio. And so that mentor, okay, that city, okay, <laughs> it's it's near Cincinnati somewhere. It's like almost a village. Okay. And for two, three weeks, I had no idea what am I supposed to do there. Like, I'm just sitting in a house. I don't know anyone. The only attraction in the whole city is Walmart. <laughs> That's all you get there, okay? And after three weeks, I almost made a decision. I said, oh, well, this is absolutely nothing what I expected here. I mean, U.S. is like nothing. I mean, like I saw in pictures or TVs with the huge buildings. Where is this all? Um, almost... Yeah, I was disappointed about to go back to Turkmenistan and just live my life. And then uh, I was like, okay, let me just play one more tournament, right, before I leave. And I find this tournament in Chicago. And I find out that my brother has a friend in Chicago, and I reach him out and say, hey, Murat, can I uh, stay at your – can you find me a place for like three days? I mean, idea of a hotel I didn't have in my mind, okay? Also, I have like maybe only $300 in my pocket. That's all I have. So I go uh, to that tournament. So I go to Chicago. Chicago. How did I get to Chicago? Probably as well. Again, great. Again, Greyhound bus. Um, and that that was actually Team Just tournament. Team Just tournament in, in January two thousand eight. I came to US two thousand seven, and that was January two thousand eight. And I played that tournament, and I won that tournament. I got clear first. It was like a prize fund. I remember very well. It was like five hundred dollars. And after it was a two-day tournament, and I was like, "Wow, I just made five hundred dollars in two days. What if I win every weekend the tournament for five hundred dollars, and I'll get like two thousand dollars a month? And this is like unbelievable money for me. If if I, if I had been told back then, uh, if you, if I get five hundred dollars for the whole month, I would be still happy because I had no perception of what his money is because in Turkmenistan." The salaries are $200, right. just so you know, so to understand the money value, okay? And I got very lucky. That's an important story to tell. In this tournament, Team Just, I'm playing the last round, 
against a boy, a very young boy, Sasha Velikanov, Alex Velikanov, who is now an uh, international master. So he was back then, I think, only 1900. And uh, he somehow did well and got to the last round. And I played him, I beat him. And then I just called him and I said, like, hey, Sasha, do you want to analyze? And we analyzed the game for 20 minutes. And there was a man standing just listening to us. And then he approached me and said in Russian, he's asked me, do you teach chess? And, and I like, wow, you speak Russian. Like I said, like, oh, yeah, I taught in my country. She's like, this is my son you just played. Would you like to come to Milwaukee and teach my son? You said, do I teach chess? It was my major. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, 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 what, what I wanted to make a defi- uh, difference that I didn't teach here yet. But no, I no, I know. Yet. I'm just yeah. saying it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. One, of teach few, chess. one of the few people in the world can say it's your major and he asks you if you teach yeah. it. But anyway, yeah, continue yeah. with your story. So, so I said, yeah, that would be, that'll be fun. That would be interesting. So we're in Milwaukee, do you leave? Exchange address and... A very next weekend, I just already being in Chicago, you know, just asking, like, you know, you find some friends here and there. And it turned out that I kind of knew a decent amount of people. And uh, someone was uh, willing to give me a ride to Milwaukee. And I went there. And I stayed uh, uh, there a couple of days. And I was teaching this boy, uh, Sasha. And he was my ever first student. And I was I was working for him for four years he with me became like a 22 2300 he achieved like very good uh ranking and uh through him i found many many other students and like then in chicago i had more students and it just spread out that i'm in town now and um not a bad teacher producing some results so that's my that's how my story started here that, in the US. That's an amazing story. I, I really enjoyed that. I, I have a few more detail questions just because I feel like the little details are what, what really bring it home. So so mm-hmm. when you got to Milwaukee uh, with this new student of yours, where did you stay then? That's a very, very good point and uh, have to reveal some extra information. <laughs> so back then in Turkmenistan, I was uh, dating one girl. And... Uh, after we broke up, we already broke up back in there, and she moved to U.S. accidentally. It just happened to be that I planned my life here. She planned herself, her life there, and she happened to live in Milwaukee, you know. And that very first night, I was just telling, hey, because uh, not the fact that I was very friendly with her, but I'm, I was very friendly with her dad. Mm-hmm. So his dad, to me, was like, we were like best friends, like really close so, of course, he told me, like, he, he made it, like, surprise for her, and, like, he didn't tell her. Of course, I stayed at their house for the first night. It was just, like, a one-day thing. And uh, I also learned that I actually just go back and forth and teach the boy. It's just, like, a one-hour and ten-minute drive, so it's not a big deal. But that night, I stayed there at my uh, ex-girlfriend's house. Okay, and you eventually found, like, a, an apartment or... Uh, in Milwaukee, no. In, in Chicago, that place that where my brother's friend uh found a place there was like another two guys were leaving we were renting they were renting a basically a first floor type basement from uh, from some polish people and there was a, just a one bedroom thing and i was happy to live wherever and i stayed in chicago in that basement for another probably like eight months and uh, i was happy i was free i could I was also happy that very friend of my brother, he actually had a very old ca- car, 1990 Toyota Camry, 
which so so old that it had a sign Hong if something falls, something huh. like that. Right. So he just basically gifted it to me. And I was driving that car, no problem. So I was going back and forth, Milwaukee, Chicago, Milwaukee, Chicago. I had many, I just turned out that I had many more friends in Milwaukee because there's a lot of people from Turkmenistan live in Milwaukee and Chicago. By a lot, I mean like 50 families. And I knew, let's say, five families from Chicago and five families in uh, Milwaukee. So you just like get to know people. And uh, yeah, I stayed at some friend's house in Milwaukee and... Uh, Back in there, I had equal amount of students had to go back and forth and teach. Okay. And I imagine you've you've been back to Turkmenistan since then. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, actually, it's an important piece. Um, so after this first eight, ten months, I couldn't stay in, in U.S. anymore. So I had to leave the country uh, because my visa was about to expire. I left on the last day before my visa expired. And uh, I went back to Turkmenistan and now... You know, I feel I feel very weird. I, ha- I had a very important decision to make because I'm already, let's say, 22, 23 years old. 22 years old, yeah. Maybe, yeah, just turned 22. And I have to make an important decision where to live, like to do some business in Turkmenistan. I had one opportunity or somehow come back in U.S. and continue my career here. Um, so... I stayed in Turkmenistan for probably half a year, doing some stuff, studying chess very hard and playing some tournaments. And uh, I, so that was a time when I was, uh, actually within this eight, 10 months, I met Grandmaster Yuri Shulman. That's a very important information because um, thanks to him, I actually studied so much, so many more hours with a really strong GM. And uh, I felt very strong after this eight, 10 months. And I felt like I'm playing like a Grandmaster strength now. I also played a lot of tournaments within this eight, 10 months. And uh, so I, when I was in Turkmenistan, I started playing some tournaments more and more, more and more. And uh, we had a trip to uh, Ukraine. And this is a fa- famous norm tournaments where about 70% of uh, all chess grandmasters get their norms. Uh, and in Hungary, there's this. And I hear and I read the internet a lot of suspicion about these tournaments, Ukraine tournaments, Ukraine GM norms tournaments. But if you think, actually, just 70% of the people actually got their norms because it just happens so often there. It's every week. You have GM norms every week. And you go into a nice place. It's right next to the sea. And you're playing. And those GMs, maybe not the best GMs. They don't really try hard, but you still have to beat them. Um, so I got uh, some norms there got my rating up and uh, the most important tournament was right in between when I was still in Turkmenistan I went to Olympiad and uh, that was in Dresden and it was by far my most amazing performance I had seven and a half points out of eight and I was going for the gold medal so and this my, is our first board of the Turkmenistan team that was that was actually fourth board okay in, in Dresden 2000 it was in 2008 end of 2008 yes I was 22 years old so and uh I knew if I'm going to get a gold medal, I'm, I have much higher chances now to get a green card because uh, wh- I was still planning to come back, of course, to yes now and apply for a green card as an extraordinary alien. And I thought with the, with the gold medal and the title of grandmaster, I would certain do, certainly do so. Uh, but all I had to do, of course, when I had seven and a half points out of eight and my rating performance was 27.38, there were only two people higher than me. Alexander Morozevich, the super GM, and Gabriel Sargisan, 
Grandmaster from Armenia. They had like 2750 and 2740 respectively, these ratings, and I was just a little bit behind them. If I don't just play my last round, round number nine, if I stay out and the other guys play because they drew, I would actually get my gold medal. But the problem was we didn't have reserve players, so I had to play. And I played, and that was my most disappointing loss in my life, I can say for sure. I played against, we played against Australia, round number nine, and uh, I missed the win. And like for exact, for about a month, I had this night dreams about this game that I missed the queen sacrifice. I actually don't even sacrifice it. I have to put the queen on price, but he cannot take it, and I would win the game. So with that, I still, of course, overdid my GM norms and uh, in this Olympiad, that helps me a lot. My rating went up and coming back to US, I was already a grandmaster. And uh, I came to US again. And this time I'm, uh, this time I'm hiring a lawyer and uh, he w- went over my case. He said, yeah, I mean, we have a good chance. You're a grandmaster. You have like, and b- b- back then in 2009, when I just got here, I was the second highest rated player after Hikaru Nakamura by the age. So there was no Ray Robson back then, no Josh Friedel, no other million grand, like, I don't know, 20 young grandmasters as we have now. In 2009, it was only Hikaru Nakamura. And uh, with that, like, in mind, we, we, we were hitting this as the youngest grandmaster, like, blah, 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 all this stuff. And I got my green card, basically. So, and that's how my life started here. That's great. Yeah, uh, and how do you like Chicago, by the way? Chicago, I I live in Glenview, so I don't live right in Chicago itself, but I love the city. I used to go there very often, downtowns and stuff. It's it used to be cold. <laughs> it's not cold anymore for the last two years. It's yeah. actually awesome. It's P- amazing. Pittsburgh's yeah. kind of the same way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're we're just enjoying for the last three years, I guess. But before it was brutal. You know, the snow like. So many inches of snow from the car removing was cold, was brutal. Now I love it. I, I, I don't really see myself living anywhere. I do like how, like weather in California, let's say. But with so many friends now here, I even have relatives now in Chicago. Moved in after I moved in here, so it's too many, too many things that are holding me here and connecting me here. Yeah, it seems like a great chess city too. Yes, and now especially we have. How many grandmasters? So I'll just tell you how it's all started. So there was uh, Dmitry Gurevich was the first gem who moved in here. Then it was Yuri Shuman with uh, Grandmaster Mitkov, Nikola Mitkov. I was the fourth grandmaster who got in here. After that, it was a big break, and we then saw another four or five GMs coming. So it was uh, Golden came here, Alexander Golden, then Grandmaster Boris Avroch came here. Uh, then Nadezhda Kosintseva and Leonid Kritz came here, and I recently heard that they moved somewhere back out. Um, and Vladimir Gergiev also came here. So yeah, mm-hmm. four or five GMs came here ever since. So now we have about seven, eight GMs. Do you guys feel like you get in each other's way in terms of uh, teaching opportunities? Or? That's a very good question. You know, a lot of people ask me this and think, you know, for me, it never made a difference because I'm always basically overbooked with lessons. I can teach anytime I want, basically. Um, as for others, I don't think anyone competes here. I mean, we're so respectful to each other, especially like with all the GMs. I'm friendly with absolutely everyone. At some point, like I, so I have this chess academy here in Glenview. I opened up like five years ago. And I think every single grandmaster who lived in um, Illinois taught here at my academy. 
needless to say that there was other GMs from all around the United States were teaching here too. So I was very friendly. I I never felt any tension between grandmasters. It's I think maybe there's a more competition going on on a lower uh, scale. Let's say when you're like a coach and you're like 2200, 2100. But Chicago is so big. You have so many students here. I don't think this is ever going to be enough coaches. Good. That's good to hear. Yeah. And I'm glad to hear that everyone's getting along. So with yeah. you, with your academy, is there like a physical property? Um, like, it, w- well, well, actually, so yeah, it is physical property, but it's the house that I used to live first when I opened it, it was in Glenview. And so I had this huge backyard and I had a very big basement where it was just old chess academy. So it started, uh, when did it start? What year was that? 2012, I would say beginning January. And the idea was for me to do the group lessons like in Soviet countries, you know, everywhere else. Because, And it was cozy for everyone. It worked out so perfectly. I had a very good uh, feedback. And I would, I would host every Saturday and Sunday group lessons in my basement. And I would have always like 10 to 12 students and divided by the group. So let's say if it's uh, Saturday, I would have 1,300 to 1,800 com- coming on one day and from uh, – on Sundays, I would have uh, 1900 to 2200 coming on Sunday. It worked out perfectly. I had every single kid that you know out there that, that are right now famous, including Wonder, Eric Rosen, Sam Schmeichel. Just many, many kids went through that, and uh, it was good times. Okay. And um, were you doing like tournaments there too or camps or was it just uh, weekly lessons at the academy? Uh, so it w- so actually it's just like a one day camp basically. And uh, before it used to be, it, you had to commit to it. Let's say if I re- release the schedule of 10 sessions, you would have to commit to 10 or you're just saying, okay, I'm going to commit to eight. I'm going to commit to six. And there was a different price. The more you okay. commit, the, the lesser price. Uh, I had it, I had it, I hold it like that. And the idea was, so we started at 10 a.m. Until one o'clock, would have two lectures, two separate lectures with a snack in between, and then we would have after second lecture, we would have a lunch. I would order them pizza or whatever place they want. I even did some like sushi stuff, you know, for kids because they liked it. Um, then there was a fun time. We would go to on the backyard and we'd just play for like forty minutes, like soccer or we'd play ultimate frisbee. Whatever we wanted, we just played. And when we got back, we would play a tournament game, which is not rated, but tournament game still. And after that tournament game, we would analyze every single game. So it was like from 10 to 4.30 experience, six okay. and a half hours of chess. Yeah, no joke. <laughs> hard work. No, no, no joke. Hard work. I really dedicate to that. And uh, I think parents loved it because they could just bring their child here and have their own time for like six and a half hours. And they know they're safe. They're in the house. As many kids, everything's fine. Yeah, I can relate to that as a parent for sure. Um, so yeah. yeah, you mentioned the different pricing based on how many classes you took, and that makes me think of your your website, improvemychess.com. So oh yeah, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, how that came into existence? Oh, that's that's a great moment of my life, I guess, when it all began. So, 2014 December, uh, one guy that I just knew. That I knew that he is there. I played him chess once before. He is like a 1950 rated player. His name is Gary Aronovich. He's my partner right now. And he wrote to me on Skype saying, hey, Mezgin, like, I would like to talk to you about something. And I said, yeah, like, let's talk. 
And uh, in early January, we had a very serious Skype conversation where he said, like, you know, I have this idea. Like, didn't you think, like, did you ever wanted to do something like that? And I said, like, yeah, like, believe it or not, I actually was asked to record some lessons, do this on DVDs and stuff like that. I was approached many times, but I always wanted to be this my own thing. Like, I didn't know, never wanted to do it for someone else because I did already know that my potential as a coach is is pretty strong, so I could... I didn't want to work for anyone. So uh, the idea was that we would be a partners and we would just develop the whole new thing. And the whole new thing, the whole main idea was that this is a membership site. So we were the first one to actually do a complete membership site, like a Netflix, basically, where you pay a certain fee in the month and you will receive structured lessons. And so... That started in 2015, January, and in 2015, in September, we launched our site. So it took us nine months of hard work of producing some content to, to begin with and uh, to, to basically start with a scratch. You have no one to copy. Like, we didn't have anything to copy. We had to figure out a lot of things. And Gary, was he's a technological guy. He's a technological guru. He understands all the... He didn't have experience in doing any chess, anything like that, but he knows how the things works, how to build a site, how to do the uh, some kind of marketing, email gathering, all this stuff. So it it's a nine month of hard work, and uh, in September we released, we just opened up. We I remember we sent a blast to uschess.org for like sixteen thousand people, and we got immediate feedback. Some people immediately signed up, and that's how the journey began. You know, well, it's- and. Mm-hmm. It seems like Gary has given you some good advice. I mean, one thing I, I noticed that it was sort of a different business model than a lot of people use. And, you know, mm-hmm. the, the site looks very professional. I, mm-hmm. I noticed that you're one of the only ones that at least I can think of uh, that advertises on YouTube. So mm-hmm. <laughs> a, a lot of uh, business things that seem to me um, to be fairly um, like natural things to do that, that you, you've been out in front on. So. Uh, yeah. I, I commend you and Gary both for, for the work you've done on that. Thank and, you, yeah. And you mentioned, mm-hmm. sorry, just a, a quick one more a related question. You mentioned that there was no, there was nothing like it, but I was curious if Gary, you know, in his experience in other fields, if there was some template he was able to draw from in a different field other than chess uh, for yes. helping you develop this business. That's perfect. Yes, perfect question. In fact, yes, our model we're going to, Basically, I'm going to reveal this a little bit. It was a poker model. And you know how poker is advanced right now with all this membership science. Oh, yeah. So like card runners and and, uh, blue fire poker and all the rest. Yeah, yeah. yeah, There's so many. And uh, we just like how this one guy doing this. And uh, it's so simple. The guy wasn't even like any anything good. I, I would just put him as a 2000 player, let's say, right? But his model, business model was so good. And we... We basically, what we were doing, we were watching a tons of videos on these famous guys, who how things are done, what you start with, because everything you start with a scratch. And I was writing down everything with a piece of, so we, before doing anything, we would have to watch tons of material that is like expensive material to watch, but we've, we've done this whole, and uh, uh, it's good that Gary knew these things, like who to watch, who to follow, and how to do it. So of course he is. Uh, I'm, I got lucky that I got approached by a really right person, a real professional. Yeah. So do you mind saying which poker site it was? That 
I do not mind saying it's called uh, transform my poker. Okay, yeah, I you know as I I think we we talked about a little before we recorded. I I played poker for a long uh-huh. time, um, but uh-huh. yeah, I, I wasn't familiar with that one. But, yeah, that's a side. It's not. It, I don't know if that if that's so because the guy is not famous at all. But the model, the business model, works. Mm-hmm. And I guess uh, your chess model is working as well. My, uh, model works so well that. It's, I don't know if, if it's right to say the hard to believe, but when you start something like that, a startup, right? And we, we, we didn't know what we were doing. Like in 2015, when in the first couple of months, we just had like a few students, right? Doing this and sending us some emails. And uh, the hardest part, I think, is how to really get people into this, right? To make sure that it's, it's a good thing. It's not just like a random videos for you that to to let them really believe that, there's real effort is in taking because I, I say this in my site that it just to present one video, I have to spend like eight hours. I have to make a lot of research and I have to structure my lesson. Then I have to write things down and then I have to know exactly where I'm going to ask a question. And after I record, I have to also edit it. So the whole experience, it at least takes an eight hours versus let's say normal when you're watching any normal, just a video course, when the grandmaster is just invited to do lessons, what they do, they just pay them a fee and they just have to record the lesson. And they don't do any edits. They don't do much preparation. They just they just do it. One hour, one hour, goodbye. So the idea was to approach it completely differently. And when I edit, like I, I cut absolutely everything. There's no single A, mm, like that stuff. Like I'm such a, I don't know, cycle that I remove everything. So to make it perfect. And do you do the editing yourself? I do always editing myself. And I don't think ever, ever anyone would be able to do it because the complexity that uh, you're going sometimes over a very difficult variation, you made a mistake. I'd say, who would know that there was a mistake, a tiny mistake, right? And I have to somehow go around it, cut it out, you know, re-record and very complex things to okay. do. Yeah. So it's a pretty inspiring story, I guess. Um, and you're doing lots of teaching on your own as well. You mentioned like with private students around Chicago and stuff like that. So are you still finding time to make new material for uh, Improve yeah. My Chess? So after the first 12 years of ImproveMyChess.com, so I recorded all the lessons. Basically, it's five lessons each month, so I recorded 60 lessons for the full year. And then uh, after one year, we we start really realizing, first of all, not like I would have unlimited resources, right? But uh, I would have to do the openings finally. And from second year, I started doing enormous amount of research on openings. And I did uh, record, uh, or I'm right now on a third course. I already did record two full uh, opening courses with one D4 opening, complete repertoire. And the second was C5, Sicilian Defense. And right now I'm working against D4. So I'm doing Slav and Semi-Slav. I'm almost almost done. I have to just another couple of weeks and I'll be done with this third course. And then I'll be done with openings. So... Um, after that, I really don't know what's going to be with me recording. I'm, I still have ideas. I didn't do like endgame courses like that, but I'm, I want to be done first with uh, these opening courses. And this is the by far this was a blast. You know, the people with the amount of feedback we got on these openings, people were just like, they they say there's nothing near close like this quality because I basically gave away all my secrets. This. Novelties I made, this very deep research. They, 
I wasn't treating them like beginners, you know, I wasn't treating them like 2000s. I gave away my stuff, the preparation of 2600. So it was, uh, it was like, I basically don't, didn't leave anything for myself now to surprise anyone. I just gave it away. And I'm pretty sure who those who are um, watching those videos a few times, if they can remember, the immediate level of opening would be like 2400. Okay. No doubt. And do you do you have a philosophy about how important different phases of the games are for students to learn? Like, like you know, I did so many experiments with students. Some I teach chess through openings. Let's say I used to do that. Right, I would just explain them many different things through opening. Many uh, students I taught through end game chess, and some from middle game. I just do keep doing all these experiments, and I'm just seeing the the best results. I would like to mention one uh, kid I'm working right now. His name is Aaron Emrikan. So he is now turned, in January, he turned seven years old. And in March, just this past March, his highest rated was 1899. So the kid wow. just turned seven years old and he's 1899. by far the world record. We didn't advertise this ever, actually. You're the, you're the first one right now who's hearing this right now. And then everyone on the podcast would hear this. And he beat the record by a wonder by 150 points and the same age. A wonder Liang was the world champion that I used to work too. And um, I don't know if I want to reveal all the secrets of how <laughs> things are done. This, I mean, but I definitely realized something that what you could do and what 99.9 coaches don't do. Like a real challenge when you're really set, when you're ambitious. And you can talk to a kid and say, do you want to be the best in the world? And the kid says, we can try. You know, you start doing something that you see the other coaches don't do. And we did that, you know, and uh, this, is I mean, quite, everyone, this is quite a tease. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a quite a tease. I mean, OK, I'll just give one, one away. OK, one technique away. OK, so tell me, Ben, uh, do you like solving studies? No uh, studies. I'm going to be honest. They're not my favorite thing. Exactly. <laughs> Those are hard, right? Yeah. Those are like so hard. You see, you can sit like a couple hours just doing one. Someone else can. <laughs> I can. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it is it's extremely hard, but there's one detail about the studies. Study reveals the beauty of chess. And the most expand how chess could possibly be beautiful, you can see in endgame, in, in endgame studies. Because unbelievable things happen, right? Right. You have to bend your mind, brain in a such a weird way, ask yourself such impossible questions in order to solve one. And imagine this you give a study to a six or five years old, and you say to him, You know, this is gonna take you a couple of days, but I want you to find the truth. And the kid comes back to you in one day saying, I spent three hours doing this and I found it. And you know you're on, onto something with this. You know that there is a true dedication. You know, he did ask himself these weird questions to get it. It's all a real, real hard work. Not many people are willing to do it. But those who are willing and they want to say, I want to try, let's say I want to be the best in the world, they have to do something that others don't do. And this is my philosophy of teaching. I do talk to, t to students. I don't work with any student I see in the first day. We have like an ex 
first tryout lesson. If I see kid really loves chess, I take the student. If I see it has something to do with parents involved, be, being more involved than kid, I try to suggest other coaches. For me, at this point right now, money doesn't matter. I will still have coaches, uh, kids. I want this satisfaction. I want the result. I want kid to be excited. I want him to have a goal. And uh, these are the rules. I always say when the student comes, I say, you know, I just want you to know your parents are not hiring me. I'm hiring you. If you fail, you fail. I'm done with you. So this is a kind of a deal we have in the beginning. And when I see kid is like willing to be okay with that and be happy about that, then we, we're becoming a good team. Good for you. That's a, that's a good attitude. Yeah, that's a good attitude. It takes, it takes years. I just never wanted to stay as just a coach because, you know, uh, I admire Mark Dvoretsky and I admire Botvinnik, Mikhail Botvinnik as a coaches. They did such a, such amount of work on the coaching, right? And also Artu Yusupov. I admire their work. I know what it takes to become a really good coach. There's many grandmasters, but there's not many brilliant coaches. And uh, I never wanted to stop as a coach. Like just, just to, you know, passing the days was just teaching the same thing. You always want to experiment. You always want to see like where is the limit of yours as a, as a chess coach. And for that reason, I actually took the challenge. I remember about seven years ago, I made myself a promise. I said, I will never just teach just for money. I, I really want to be into it in the process. I want to be in my student's mind. And uh, if, if, I'll, if I'll be able to keep doing this, we will be producing results. So ever since, it, it's working. And I don't plan to uh, give up this philosophy or idea. I'm really looking forward to lessons. And I just want to sit on the lessons. I want to do it. Because when you're actually working really hard, the time goes so fast. And if you're just sitting and not doing much, just like doing stupid things, like showing stupid stuff, then it's also boring. So what do you do to make yourself a better teacher? you have any advice? or? It's an ambition. It's a motivation. You know, I was never okay with just being a coach because I know how much a regular coach does, how much money he makes. Um, and okay, let's just let's just talk. How much a normal grandmaster charge? Let's say, what the prices do you know, Ben? Ninety, a hundred an hour, something like that. Those are in the, those are very good grandmasters, and like states like, you know, cities like New York, you know, where it's very developed. In okay. normal, let's say, ever average is absolute like 80, 75, 85, okay? In New York, is always more. Right. So, if we just take any $80 an hour and you, what do you see? You're going to see, for, let's say, four hours a day you're going to teach, right? You're going to make, make multiplication, then you'll see how much you'll make in a year, right? But it's never satisfactory if you're ambitious, if you want to do more. So, if, and... How can you make more? You have to ask yourself, you have to produce results so other people can start reaching out and more people will start reaching out and you can just raise the price. And uh, I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think I charge much. I charge $100 right now an hour. Okay, And if I just want to, I can probably go higher just because there's already a line of students. And it's all because also because I have this program. It's a little bit unfair like to treat me as a normal coach because I have this program. I have so much more clients to reaching me out. So you're, you're referring to your, your Improve My Chess, right? Improve My Chess, yes. Because okay. people asking every day I see email like, hey, Mezgan, like, 
how much do you charge for a private lesson, you know, like this. And sometimes I, I kind of mostly want to work with uh, kids because I know there's something uh, great can come out, out of this. Because if you're working with an adult, you know, he has a life, he has kids, he has family, he has things to do, you know. He will not dedicate uh, three, two hours a day in a chest, you know. It's not going to happen. So that means we will not see a great result. I'll just help him a little, with a little bit, but it's not going to be something that I, I really look for. So I really look into this like young kids that are like has talents or who just really loves chess because they're life changing because they become more happy. They have something to look for. So it's, it just be, uh, the matter of ambition. If, if you're satisfied making, let's say $80 an hour and just teach, I wasn't. And hence that's why I did this program, com, and I will not stay on this price of $100. It, the time is the most valuable thing. Of course, we all know that. And so that's, it's a discipline, basically. You know, like I, 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 I had this mindset, you know, just to work hard and. You've, you've come a, a long way from the fly soup in Turkmenistan. <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> or, or let's say a thirty dollar an hour. My first student, the Sasha Velikanov, I was charging him thirty dollars an hour. Right. So, yeah. Well, yeah. well, good for you. Uh, and as we record this, this is going to come out um, Tuesday, mm-hmm. May tenth, or something like that. Um, and you're heading to Super Nationals next week. You mentioned. So, what what brings you there? Super Nationals. So, I actually been to the two last Super Nationals. I was there in 2009, 2013, and now 2017. So, I haven't skipped one yet. I should actually, sorry, I should clarify for, for listeners from outside the U.S., this is the biggest scholastic tournament probably in the world. It's some years they have um, separate national championship tournaments in the U.S. for elementary school level, junior high level, and high school level. And then some years they combine them all and they call those Super Nationals. So, that's what we're talking about. But anyway, go ahead, Mezgin. And by far the largest event in the world. So we can ask them to uh, guess the number and in their mind, you know, how many students are playing. So this year it's a breaking world record breaking. 5,500 students are playing in this event. It and is amazing. Ima- so you imagine you have 5,500 kids and another like at least 5,000 parents, you know. And you have like 10,000 people in this one resort playing all sections, all, everything. Huge event. And before I was going as a coach, in 2009, I went just with one one private student and I was just helping out. I was paid and I helped out. In 2013, I just went there. I had about a group of 12 private students and I just paid my own everything. I just sat there and I analyzed all day. I was just doing it for my students. This time, I'm going and I'm going to promote improvemychair.com. And I'm going to help out my private students going over their games as much time as I have. So it's going to be super busy. We're going to have our own booth there. If by any chance someone will will hear uh, this podcast and planning to go to the Super Nationals, of course, I would come to say hi and just tell me that you heard this podcast. It will be amazing, of course. So we're going to be promoting that. And uh, there will be other companies like Chess.com, ICC, uh, some other co- companies, I guess. So it will be Sounds exciting. good. Yeah, yeah, exciting mm-hmm. for sure. Um, okay, well, I, I've only got a couple other topics to talk about. You mentioned in the we talked about poker a little. So, were you a poker player? I'm not obviously a professional poker player. I don't make money out of this, but I'm a, more of on a plus side when I go. 
And I don't play anything crazy. I play mostly one, two, two, five, and uh, it's just a cash game. And I, it depends on the time. Let's say when I have a lot of recording and work to do, I, I don't go. When I'm just too tired out of chess, it's chess everywhere. I just go and play poker. I just sit for like eight hour session and uh, forget about chess, listen to some nice music, and I play and enjoy. Okay. I mean, because I also like, I mean, I read a few books, watching a lot of YouTube videos, you know, like subscribe for some channels on YouTube. I like the game. It's similar to chess. Yeah. As, uh, yeah. It can be, uh, it can be enjoyable to study. Uh, sometimes I feel like it's more in- interesting as an academic pursuit than to actually, you know, play 40 hours a week or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, most exciting part, maybe psychological part. I yeah. really like this. Uh, I'm watching them. Like, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to recognize the tells, you know. It, right. it doesn't mean that I, I'm always right or anything, but it's just a factor of how people try to uh, disguise the uh, something or are they trying to give a fake information with their body language you know trying to lure you into something it's just a, a fun yeah it's a big fun of part of my life i really like it uh i wish i could do more but at the end of the day i just ask myself you know i sit there and i play but what useful i could be done instead yeah and i and that's the question in my mind. And I was like, I know for sure there's so many more useful things I could do to improve my life, actually, you know. But it's just a fun part. Yeah. Nothing to do with making money and just, just trying to have fun. So any other, uh, any other hobbies? What else are you into with, uh, with your free time? Uh, well, since I was in a, this sport university, which is called Tourism and Sport University, it's from age 15, I am never skipped the gym, basically. So now I'm... So half of my life I'm doing gym. I don't skip it ever. I just sometimes maybe skip it for a month or two, you know, that's all. But I regularly go to gym, like say uh, four or five times a week. It's my free time, something that just like, anytime I have like an hour free, okay. I try and just, I'm trying to sneak in into the gym and just work out. You lifting weights or doing cardio or what? Yeah, I'm, I'm mostly doing lifting weights. I like to swing, but weather in Chicago, you know, you know, you don't always enjoy doing that. Mostly just lifting. I was into arm wrestling for the period of my college life. I hmm. somehow was unbeatable for four years. They were always making jokes of how chess player could do arm wrestling and never lose <laughs> the set, you know? Yeah, so I did that. I enjoyed that. I also uh, play ping pong, table tennis. And uh, to this day, none of the chess grandmasters or international masters ever beaten me yet. The only guy who beats me in ping pong, and I'm so pissed, is Gary, my partner, Gary Aronovich. Oh, funny. <laughs> so he's a, good, he's a good ping pong player. He plays tennis, but he, 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 beat me. he beats me badly in table tennis, so I stopped playing him. But other than that, I, I'm decent. <laughs> okay. So, Meskin, we're about out of time, but I, you did mention some stories at the beginning, some Grandmaster stories. Do you have any that spring to mind before you go? I know that this isn't really in context, but if you, you know, have any- I'll tell you this. There are some really crazy stories, but I don't know if I can reveal names. Like, <laughs> that was what Simon Williams said when I had him as a guest. That's, uh, <laughs> well, if you want to, if you want to tell a story without names, I think people I'll still you, might I'll enjoy tell you, it. I'll tell you one story that I was like, but you kind of have to maybe see impressions, but just, but you also have to know the grandmaster. It makes it much more funny. But okay, story told me by my very good friend. Okay, I'll tell. I'll tell. I reveal his name. 
This was Alexander Shabalov okay. who told the story, who was in the story, okay? Okay. So, Alex Shabalov, so it was 1990th a year. He and two other grandmasters traveling to uh, South America, one of the countries. It's unrelated. And it's a 10-day tournament, zone tournament. Whoever qualifies plays a World Cup, okay? So he goes with these two GMs. And uh, on the first day, uh, they, they're going to the store to buy vodka, you know? So Russian GMs, they need, they need that. Right. There's no other way. And they're trying to measure, you know? They're trying to measure how much... Vodka do they need for uh, 10 days for three of them? So they decided on a gallon, okay? The gallon, huge, huge bottle gallon vodka in the supermarket. So they buy that and they go home. On the first evening, each of them having a 30 grams of vodka, like one shot, okay? And Shabalov and the other grandmaster goes to sleep upstairs. And the one GM decided to stay for a little bit, okay? <laughs> so... After seven hours in the morning, Shabalov wakes up, okay? He wakes up, and he goes downstairs. And he sees a bottle, and he cannot really see. Is it like still full, or it's like absolutely empty? He can't understand. So he approaches the bottle, he lifts this bottle, and there's like a tiny, tiny little bit of vodka left. And he's trying to understand, like maybe they spill it somewhere, right? What happened? Where did the whole gallon of vodka gun and then he sees the tv like so loudly working and some french commentary is going on and none of them speaking french by the way so very loud uh, french news going on and then he sees on the sofa this grandmaster okay he's absolutely naked <laughs> <laughs> he's absolutely naked and he has only one tie on him just imagine a, a dress tie okay imagine yes. tie naked <laughs> he's asking him hey man are you okay and he's like turning on him putting his finger to his nose and does this i'm watching news and and then he's like he couldn't understand in in his mind like what news are you watching it's 8 a.m in the morning you have in two hours you have a game where's the whole vodka and why is it on french you don't even speak french you know and he's like them doing with this, like, get out of here, like, I, I'm listening, you know, to something important. So it, it was so funny that he, <laughs> he goes, he goes uh, upstairs just to change, prepare for the round, and he comes down with another GM, and they see him preparing some breakfast. Like, nothing happened. Huh. Nothing happened. Like, he said, hey, guys, let, let, let's go eat. And they ate the breakfast. They don't talk about this. They don't talk, where's the vodka? Like, they don't talk anything, Right. And the whole, the most beautiful part of the story, that person, so he plays his first round against international master, and he wins the most beautiful game <laughs> with an isolated pawn. And ever since Shabalov tells me that he shows to all his students that game, the most beautiful game. And he was, the whole gallon vodka was in him. Wow. Amazing. So, and, and with, with the face expressions, how you like, how he did this all. And you know, it's, you see, the thing is, like, I'm going to tell you now. I'm going to tell you now after this podcast, who was this, right? We're going to be right. amazing teaser. I know people are like, oh, who is this guy? <laughs> I want to know. People, I can't do this. Well, I just can't. 
People but, are going to be researching. People are going to try to get to the bottom of it one way yeah, or the other. Yeah, but, yeah. They're going to maybe reach Shabalov and start to say, who is this guy? But uh, I don't know if anyone will ever reveal this, but it's... Excellent. It's All right. Yeah, I know a lot goes on on these road trips. So, oh, um, yeah, yeah. And, and you, you do realize there's a tons of tons of stories like this that, that it just like endless there could yeah. be like some podcasts for the just stories like this and there's amazing stories well yeah when you listen to the poker podcast they come out from amongst the poker players but uh-huh. chess players play it a little tighter to the vest i think because um a lot of them are chess educators <laughs> so yeah 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 yeah. you see yeah there's this element there's like you know they they teach kids you know that gm that i was talking to you teaching kids like right this cannot be really yes really well yeah. Okay. One more. One more for the road for for listeners who are looking for like a book to improve um, or like a, a studying tip that you have for them. Um, any any parting advice for some young uh, m- motivated chess player? Okay. Uh, books. Uh, for example, always I recommend this. It's called Mammoth: The Greatest Chess Games. It's the series of hun- is there 125 games, best games ever played in my opinion. Annotated very well and uh, presented. So it goes from like 19th century to recent games, and every game has a beautiful idea. So strongly recommend that. Mammoth, like uh, woolly mammoth. It's called Ma- the Mammoth. Okay, you never heard of it. Great, wow. The Mammoth, the greatest chess games. Okay. For sure that. Uh, best puzzle book it, uh, by Shaw. It's called Quality Chess Puzzles. Okay. By Shaw. S H A W. This guy. Um. Other books, of course, like the positional chess. Oh, of course, Arthur Yusupov, Mark Dvoretsky. All, right. all their books are best. Like, zero doubt, go for it anytime. And it would be wrong not to recommend my program, improvemychess.com, of course. If you're looking for the videos, this is where uh, you, you should just check it out. Everyone, I think, should check it out. There is a free course. And uh, there's three lessons. Uh, you can see, have a taste of how I teach. And uh, then you can decide for yourself if this is something you like. Great. Okay. And is that the best way to reach you? Uh, just go to your site and uh, fill out the form if people have questions? or Yeah. You, they just go and they, they enter their email. And then they hit send me the video. And they will receive the videos from me. And then I already will start sending some emails. And they can always reply. And I, I will be always personally replying to those emails. Great. Well, Meskin, thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks for the stories. Your story's uh, amazing, and, and I get the feeling you have a lot more that, uh, that maybe you can reveal yeah. to me offline. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank oh. you so much for having me. It was uh, joyful. I never did podcast before, and Ben, I would like to personally thank you for doing this for all of the listeners because, you know, I, I, I really don't know, like, any other chess source who would actually reveal this the lives of the people and the stories because in the book or anywhere else on a course you can just put so little of just chess right know? but this casual type thing is is very relaxing it's uh, i myself let's say like everyone loves to uh, listen to podcasts and if you're interested in chess listening to chess podcast is just the best thing i think so thank you cool well thank you mezgin and good luck uh, have fun at super nationals and um we will uh talk again someday yeah thank you Thanks for listening to Perpetual Chess. To hear more episodes, give feedback, or suggest guests, go to perpetualchesspod.com. If you like the show, please help me out by telling your friends and giving me a high rating on iTunes. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Perpetual Chess Podcast.
Social Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.